But every once in a while, I got to remind myself, like, Bob, like, settle down. Like, you got to speak here soon. You got to have a voice left. So try to belt it out with Jake Davis. That's tough. It's tough to keep pace with that man. So, hey, for those of you that are with us that are kind of new here or maybe haven't been here this summer, we started a series a few weeks back on the book of First Peter, and we're about three weeks in. And Peter was a disciple of Jesus who um, is writing to some churches surrounding the area of Rome in the early 60s A.D., so about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And it's a time when the Christians in that area are under some pretty intense persecution by um, an emperor named Nero. Uh, and he is writing these letters, First and Second Peter, um, to try to encourage and strengthen and equip and really kind of prepare the church for the, the persecution that's going to come. And, you know, I thought about it. It's a lot like a parent kind of trying to prepare their kids for those next steps, whether that's, you know, that I've had these talks with my kids. Like you sit them down, like they're going into middle school, they're going into high school, they're going into college, they're getting married, they're having kids. Like, here's what to expect. Here are the challenges that are going to be there. And as somebody who's lived through those seasons of life, right, as, as adults, as parents, we, we want to make sure we try to prepare and equip um, our kids as much as possible. And so that's kind of Peter's heart for these churches. He's like, guys, it's, it's going to be difficult. And I've lived through difficulties before. And this is what I want you to know. I've got some things to pass on to you. And specifically, Peter warns them that despite the trials that are coming, despite that, that God is with them and that they are more powerful and they are more strong than they could ever imagine because they have Christ in them the power of the living God inside of them. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter. It's page 1109. It's towards the very end of your, your Bibles there. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter. <clears throat> We're going to start today in, in chapter 1, verse 22, and read through uh, chapter 2, verse 3. So it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth... So that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all peoples are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the title of this section, if you look way back up by verse 13, is, is Be Holy. And that means to be set apart. To, to live according to a different standard than the world lives by. So Peter begins in verse 22 by saying, in effect, now that you've surrendered yourself to the invitation to make Christ the Lord and center of your life, know that these things are true and act in this way. And Peter says that receiving the truth about the saving work of Jesus causes us to have a sincere love for one another. So on a spiritual level, what he's saying is that loving other people is a natural byproduct of following Christ. Why is that? 
Well, because the Bible says God is love. And so if that God then is in you through the Holy Spirit, then there's really almost nothing else you can do but love one another. It's, it's like you're destined to love because that's who the person in you, that's what he's all about, right? And we have this sincere love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we realize that we're all the same, right? We're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all in equal need of God's grace. And so this comparison game that we've been living our whole life is over. We don't have to compare ourselves to one another because we're just all in equal need of God's forgiveness. All of us, all of us here today who are Christ's followers, we have this common bond as brothers and sisters. We are united under the, the love of the Holy Father and through the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's our common story with every Christian around the globe. And that's why, I don't know if you've experienced this, if you ever travel to other parts of the United States to work with other you know, mission organizations or to other countries overseas, and you meet these people who are strangers to you, you've never met them, but within just a few minutes of meeting them and knowing that you have this common bond in Christ, it's like your best friends, right? There's this barrier, these barriers that naturally are put up by, by non-believers that as Christians are kind of torn down. And, and we have this instant connection to people of knowing this, this common song that we all sing, this idea of just, man, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and you and you and you. And it's like we look at one another and we don't even have to say anything. And it's like, I know, I can't believe it either. <laughs> he loves me despite it all. And that love draws our hearts together. And so there's love that's this spiritual reality, that's this natural byproduct of just being a follower of Christ. But then Peter goes on and he says, love one another deeply from the heart. So there's also this love that we have to choose. So let me explain it to you in a different analogy. In the Bible, when a man and woman are married, it says that the two become one flesh so that they are no longer two but one. Okay, so when God looks on a husband and wife, he sees them as one entity. Now, even though that is true on a spiritual level, each and every day I have to wake up in the morning and in my flesh I have to choose to love my wife. I have to choose to live out of the truth of what God says about my wife and I, that we are one. And, but, but that doesn't mean that, that I, it just naturally happens and I don't have to try. <laughs> I still have to choose to do that, to try to love her in big and small ways, to reflect that spiritual reality. Okay? So, in fact, Jesus says this about love in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, Jesus says, that the distinguishing mark of a follower of me is self-sacrificial love. Not church attendance. Not serving in the nursery. Not watching only G and PG movies. Where Kirk Cameron is the star, right? If you're too young, just Google Kirk Cameron. You'll, you'll get it later. Right? But it's, it's that you love one another. 
That's what sets Christ followers apart from the rest of the world, is this intense love that we have for one another. And that word deeply there, it says deeply, love one another deeply. In the Greek, that means with fervor. And, and, and it, it has this imagery that goes with it. When, when the Greeks would have heard that word, the word means this, to stretch your muscles to the limit. And so Peter there is, is trying to say that there should be an intensity to our love for others. That it's the kind of love that leaves nothing on the table. Now, I don't know about you, but when I love, I leave a lot on the table. <laughs> I have all kinds of things that, that make me kind of pull back and, and make me kind of a little timid about kind of giving my whole heart to things at times. But, but he's, he's saying, he's pushing us. He's saying, man, I want you to, to stretch your love to the limit. So I want to ask you guys this. How do we begin to love like that? What do you think are some of the, the starting points, some of the things that, that we have to have in our mind right up front in order for our love to be pulled to the limit like that? What do you guys think? What has to be present in us? Oh, put your hand up now. There's a lot of people in here. There you are. <laughs> Humility. Okay, good. Yeah, we, we have to consider other people better than ourselves, right? That's great. What else? Yeah. For me, it's about loving the ones that I would reject, the ones that I see in judgment and looking at myself and loving them as God loved them. No matter what, I have to love everybody regardless of their situation, regardless of where they come from. Okay. Total acceptance of everybody. No okay. So total acceptance of everybody no matter what. It's good. I would even back this up a little farther, folks. What's the starting point? Even more. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So realizing that we're all in the same battle, that they're not, the other people aren't the enemy. Yes. Down here. Sure. Vulnerability. Okay. Good. Justin. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I think that's the heart of it, is that we have to understand that the love God that has for us first. We have to understand the depth of how much he loves us. And as we sit in that and we rest in that and we receive that, then it, it forces us out. We have to understand that because of Christ in me, I have more than enough love to go around. It's an inexhaustible, limitless supply of love that I can tap into. Now, I was an only child. So all the stereotypes you can think about about an only child are true of me. Spoiled, selfish, all about me. It's always been about me was what, how I would sing that song we sang earlier, right? So when I all of a sudden got married... And then I had my first two kids, so that was one more in the house than I was used to. I thought, oh my gosh, like, I am stretched to the limit. Like, this is all that I've got, you know? And, and then, but you know what? All of a sudden, we had a third kid, and then a fourth kid. And guess what? You know, I didn't run out. 
right? God just kept stretching me and stretching me and giving me more capacity because he's, he's saying to me, Bob, it's not about how much you have, how much you bring to the table. If you tap into me and, and, and my love, I've got more than enough for how many kids you want to have, right? And why is that? Why do we always have this greater capacity? It's because we've been born again. We've been born again, right? We're not that old, selfish, limited lover that we used to be. That old you, that old guy or gal you used to be is a cheap knockoff of the person that you are now in Christ. And his love is limitless. And so we can't see ourselves through just human eyes and human perspective and think and and put limits on how much we think we can do, how much we can love that person that's hurt us. We have to understand that we are serving a God who says, I've got more than enough for you. We've been born again, Peter says, through the living and enduring word of God. And then in in verse 24, Peter quotes this, this passage, if you notice, it kind of broke off into another section there, and he's quoting Isaiah 40. And he's giving this example about about flowers and grass, things that have temporary existence. And he says, grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you, he says. You see, if if anyone is to be born again, it will only happen because of the living and enduring word of God that's spoken to them. And if you want to get a glimpse of the posture that we should have towards God's word, I would encourage you guys this week to to read, and this is going to take you a week if you do it well, read Psalm 119. And it's the longest psalm uh, in the book of Psalms, but it has some amazing imagery about God's word and kind of our posture towards it. And just break it up into small chunks. And I just want to share just a, a small passage from that this morning. It's verses 57 through 64. It says this, You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. You know, it's an amazing experience. Every time I sit down and have a conversation with people who are trying to figure life out, I love those conversations because those folks usually are kind of hungry they're eager, they're open, they're listening. And without fail, when I'm in those conversations, the Holy Spirit, as I'm sitting there listening and we're talking, will bring stories and verses into my mind that I don't even know if I knew before I sat down or if it has, it's been something that's like I haven't remembered in years and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will just pop something in my head to, to speak into them. And, and, and man, I love that. But, but I have to tell you this, specifically in college, I committed myself to memorizing scripture. And I used to carry around these little packets the navigators used to give out with these scripture memory cards. Anybody? Holler out to the navs. Yeah, there you go. So I had these little packets and these cards and you would memorize 
uh, a new one each week. At least that's what I did for, for I don't know, a while. <laughs> and I would carry them around in my backpack at school. Whenever I had a break, I would look at some scriptures and, and just kind of soak my mind in that. And man, it, it's paid some big dividends, I think. And <clears throat> I had my roommate in college. I'll show you how much of a nerd I was. So we used to drive home. We went to school in Springfield at Missouri State. Bears, shout out, yes. Uh, we used to drive back to Kansas City. So it's like three hours, you know. And most people would like play the alphabet game or write down license plate states or something like that. We used to go back and forth quoting scripture until the other person ran out. And you couldn't repeat any verses and you just kept going until somebody won and somebody was a loser. And I'll pretty much play any game where there's a winner or a loser. So, you know, if I could quote 21 and you can only quote 20, then you were a loser and I was awesome. But, but that season of, of kind of like intentional scripture memory, I mean, it's just continued to pay dividends in my life. Because now I have this storehouse of truth, right, that, that in, in any given situation, God can use. And, and it's kind of like, you know, tools on a tool belt, Right? When you have that home repair person that shows up at your house and they walk in your door, you want to see a lot of tools on the tool belt. Because then, and no matter what the situation is in your house, and however nuanced the problem is, they've got a specific tool to figure it out, right? You don't want the person to show up to your house with just a hammer in their belt, right? One problem fix all, right? And all they know how to do, no matter what the problem in your house is, is bang, you know? Because then when we get in situations where we're, we're entering into people's lives and their stories, and if our knowledge of the, the truth of God is so limited that all we have is this hammer, and all we know is this kind of one approach to figuring life out, and any situation that somebody throws out at us, you know, my husband and I, were having a hard time having kids, well, you just need to pray about it more. Nailed it. Right? Or, man, we're really struggling with our finances. We're trying to figure out how to to give more to the church. And, well, you just need to pray about it more. You know, sometimes you can't just have the, the one answer all the time. That sometimes there's these, you know, this it's always this balance of, of grace and truth. And the more scripture we know, the more opportunity God has to kind of pull from those resources and, and use them in those conversations to speak life into people. That God's word is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 puts it like this. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what's not living and active? Your thoughts and opinions on life. People are born again by hearing the living and active word of God. Not your commentary on life. Not how you think life works. But God's word. Some of you might be thinking, well, you know what? I don't think I could ever explain the gospel like Bob or Justin or Dave Hind or Phil Zwerink, right? I don't know that, I don't, I don't have the words to say that. I don't think I'll ever know as much as you guys. And what I think all of us would say is, you know, we haven't always been like this. 
There was a time in our life where we didn't know anything either. And now for 30 years of following Christ, like most days I've spent some time in God's word. And it just starts to add up. But I have to choose to do that each and every day. It doesn't automatically happen. I have to get up and I have to, I have to treat this word like just life support for me. Like I have to have it or else I can't make it. And when we read and we memorize and we digest and we allow God's word to transform us, then it's this resource that God can use to serve others as well. If your Bible's still open to 1 Peter, I want you to just turn over to to chapter 2, verse 9. Peter is speaking about our identity And he's saying, guys, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That what? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our purpose, right? Not just to pray a prayer so that we can have our sins forgiven so we don't go to hell. But that we would declare his praises so that we might help bring others out of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ. And some of you guys just got back from Young Life Camp, right? And you're taking some of your first steps in your Christian faith. And I want you to grab hold of this vision for your life because I was you in 1985, is that you didn't get saved just for you. God redeemed you. He rescued you because he wants to use you to bring other people into his kingdom so that they might know what it is you experienced this past week at camp as well. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 2 again. Peter says, Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Peter is saying, receive God's word, enter into God's word, read God's word with a particular posture, right? And what is that? He says, read God's word like a baby craves milk. Man, I love that image. As though that you that that have had kids or have kids now, right, Man, you're holding them, and they're hungry. They've been crying, right? You get that bottle, and as soon as they see it, they're like, you know, the eyes are open, the mouth's open. You stick it in there, and it is go time, right? And they will eat that thing like there is no tomorrow, like they're thinking, I know this is the last bottle you got, (laughs) and then we're going to be on our own, so I'm going to chug this thing down, right? And that's the imagery that, that he has in You don't have to teach a baby to desire milk. It just does. It's just innate, right? They can't live without it. And Peter says, like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave it. Desire the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Christ. Why? Because it's the only way to learn how to love deeply, 
sincerely from the heart. It's the only way through pursuing God's living, enduring word that we can rid ourselves of the things that he talks about in verse 1. Right? Look at that. Right? It says, rid yourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. All of those traits that used to be kind of regular guests in our life, in our old way of living. We, we crave God's word because when we do it, it eradicates more and more of the, the evilness, the darkness in our hearts and our thoughts in order to love one another more deeply. And how often should we crave it? Just once a week at church? If a baby ate once a week, would it live? Not very well. Once a day? I don't know. The baby eats several times a day. Do you notice the, the word we just read in Psalm 119? He says, at midnight, I wake up and I thank you. Right? Throughout the day, God's word should be ruminating around in our hearts and minds. We should be speaking it to one another, to ourselves, reminding us of what's true. And that's why Peter uses this appropriate analogy. (laughs) Guys, this gospel, this word is life to us. And when we neglect it, we become ineffective in life. And we don't love people very well. And, and we're, we're open and we're prey to the enemy's lies and schemes because we don't have the truth to combat the lies that are coming at us all the time. And so there's a cost to be paid for neglecting this. And it's not just us that pays for it. It's all the people around us too. Our friends, our spouse, our kids. We're better when we're in the word. <laughs> Verse three concludes with this. He says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this sensory imagery that he gives. He doesn't say, you know, now that you've thought about it in your minds and that you've decided to accept it. He says, now that you've tasted it, now that you've experienced him, have you guys experienced the powerful, redeeming work of God in your life? That despite our sinful hearts, In fact, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. If you have, then you know that it's a taste that's better than anything the world has to offer. To taste and know that you are truly forgiven, that you are truly free, that you are truly adored, you are truly loved. There's nothing more powerful than that in your life. That's why nothing energizes me like sharing the truth of God's word with other people. Honestly, like, I get so jazzed coming away from those conversations because I know that this truth that I'm sharing with them, this truth has the power to redeem and restore any person who's experiencing any pain and any difficult circumstance. And sometimes I honestly like have to catch myself thinking, how did I get so lucky to be the bearer of this great news to this person? Like, 
I feel privileged that I've tasted and seen that that's good in my life, and I'm desperate for them to know that. I'm so desperate for people to know, man, you are free, you are forgiven, you are loved. You don't have to keep chasing those things that are never going to satisfy you, that person that's never going to tell you they love you enough or how beautiful you are or how handsome you are or how great you are. You don't have to chase that stuff anymore. How freeing that is to know that. Remember the, can- the command that Jesus gave his disciples, if we could put that slide back up from John 13. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Peter is reminding these churches around the area of Rome, guys, you cannot control what the Romans do to you. You can't control whether they are going to persecute you, arrest you, beat you, kill you. What you can control, what we can all control each and every day, is the energy, the passion, the desire, the craving that we bring to our time with God, our hunger for the word. That's completely within our control. That's a choice that we make. And when you fill yourself up with that truth and taste that the Lord is good, then we can also control how we love other people the various people that God brings across our path. Some of them are easy to love, and some of them are really hard to love. But God will give us the capacity to love everyone because he loves them. And Jesus says, by that love, the world will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and just how living and active and enduring it is, how it speaks to us, how it saves us and helps us to be born again. God, that we become new creations because of the promises that your word and your truth has for us. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a hunger. I pray that that imagery of of craving milk like a baby would just stick with us. God, that we would just consume and devour your word so that we would just be more usable by you. God, that we would have this storehouse of truth in us that you can just pull out these stories and these, these words that we've committed to memory and use them in the lives of others to breathe life into them. God, this world is desperate to hear a story that's as life-giving and hopeful and joyful and peaceful as your word is. And so God, I pray that you would give us passion to control the things that we can control, God, which is engaging you so that we might love one another deeply, so that this world might know that we are your followers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.